I'm Tracy Preston and welcome to We're All Animals. So this is my backyard, Tracy. What a backyard. <laughs> Not everyone has a Sumatran tiger in their backyard, Sally. It's a little bit unusual. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is where I live. And this is what I did. I've just arrived at Sally Patey's home, better known as Mogo Zoo. So I'm just noticing here you also have a lion in your backyard, by the way. Yeah, there's a big male over there. That's what. And they're obviously coming in there to feed, so. They're here. I first met Sally over a decade ago when I was covering a story on the arrival of three white lion cubs who'd arrived from South Africa and made headlines as the first white lions in Australasia. I've always remembered her love for those lions and now I can see the same love and connection, but this time between herself and her Sumatran tiger, Kinwa. Sally, what's that sound he was making? He's chuffling. That's, that's a good sound. That's, he's saying good morning to me. Yeah. Yes, he's a good boy. Yes. You know, he, I mean, he's just a, a, such an amazing animal. He, he really is. Hello, Kinwa. But you can see his affection for you, Sally, that's for sure. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty cool with Clive and I. So... Uh, and a couple of the other keepers. He's, he's all right. You know, like, he, he, he's, he's just a beautiful cat. But you get the best out of him when there's Clive or I here. Yeah. And what is it about Kimwa, do you think, that, that holds such a special place in your heart? What is it about this special cat? Well, everything we went through, you know, with him, because he was actually born without a hip and, a like, without his, the cup and the, the ball, you know. So it was a very long process and not knowing exactly whether he was going to survive and, and as his weight got more, how, how would that work, you know. And when he and Rumble were running around the backyard leaping off the veranda here, um, I suddenly went, yep, he's, he's fine, and, you know, he's, he's just been awesome. Rumble is Kinwa's best mate, who happens to be a German shepherd. Tigers in the wild are solitary. You know, lions are more of a social animal. So it was really good that Kinwa had Rumble to sort of interact with a little bit when they're little, you know, and it helped Rumble heaps, you know, so to learn about big cats because he'd never, ever been near them. And I've always done this if I've had to hand rear. I mean, it's of course, it's always, always better for mum, you know. I will never, ever just pull an animal just to, to hand rear it. We'll, we'll feed first. OK. Because they're... Oh, do you want to feed the line then? The cats are pretty excited, yeah. they know. Okay. <laughs> do I need to do anything? Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times. <laughs> okay, what are you you've got a lot of meat in that bag. What are you about to or oh, they're getting a bit excited? Oh they know it's coming. So what we have to do though is make sure we keep them separate at first. Otherwise, 
the boy and boss, you know? We're about to go into, let's say, a lion's den, and there's a, a massive, big male lion pacing. He looks very excited. It's a little bit scary. There is, a, there is a fence between us and that male line, isn't Definitely. there? You're about to open a door here, so I'm just hoping. Yes. Okay, so I think I'll well, just... He's 186 kilos, she's 155. So come and meet footy and Nandi. Okay, 186 kilos of mean line. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. I'm not putting my finger through, that's for sure. Oh, that's a bit too close for comfort. Oh, wow. You're okay. Oh. You don't realise how big these guys are. I mean, who gets this close to a male lion? He is massive. Oh, oh. Very excited. It's dinner time. The whole concept of zoos today has completely changed to how it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago or even 100 years ago, you know. So the whole concept now is working towards programs that actually help the species. And that was my whole idea in the first place, you know. If people were going to pay to look at an animal behind wire, then that animal had to benefit from being there. And that is exactly what we went ahead and did. All I can say is, like, I've often thought of maybe having a pig, a goat, <laughs> I've got a dog, and have having an acre one day. I'd love to do that. That's my dream. But never in a million years would I think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a zoo from scratch and I'm going to get a rhino and a gorilla. I mean, where did that thought come from? I mean, that that's pretty insane thought, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's just start a yeah. zoo and build a zoo from scratch and, uh, you know... 25 years later, well, I now have 200 animals. I mean, this is what we always dreamt about way back then. Why a zoo? Well, we travelled around Australia. Like, we did lots of things. We did buffalo mustering in the Northern Territory and I rode shotgun in the helicopters and, you know, I was camp cook and Bill was in the catches and, you know, like, we hunted pigs, you know, and then, of course, we had our daughter. So we, we went to a lot of places and we saw a lot of things with native animals, a lot of, lot of parks with native animals. And you're going back, you know, 35, 40 years ago. And we just thought, well, there's a real need for endangered exotic species. And they all said, do natives. We didn't want to do natives. But you could have done fundraising or something to raise money for those sort of species. You don't have to open a zoo to... <laughs> well, we were... We started as taxidermists in a shed in a little house that we had in Tomakin because we couldn't have the animals like this. So we did that for a few years and then we bought the, the farm in partnership with a friend. So for a year we were working on that and we built a taxidermy museum. And then I saw in a book about... Um, the Zoological Parks Board of New South Wales. And I went to Canberra to pick up a black butt head for our taxidermy museum that we were going to build. What's a black butt head? Uh, it was a, a, an antelope. Oh, okay. An antelope with the spirally yeah. horns. And they had servals. They had pigtailed macaques. And I wasn't overly impressed with what I saw. So I came home and that was it. I started ringing them saying, I want to start a zoo. So this went on for about 18 months and they kept saying, no, 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 no. 
And one day I said to them, did you just send me the papers to get rid of me because you were sick of me ringing? And they said yes. And we finally got our licence to um, open a zoo. And what was your vision for the zoo? What was, when, at the very beginning, what was your vision? That vision was to build a zoo for endangered exotic species to make a difference. And who would have thought, you know, two people have this vision. We have a five-year-old daughter and, yeah, it was just like, I didn't ever think we couldn't do it. So with $4,000, a dream and a five-year-old in tow, Sally and Bill built Mogo Zoo from the ground up. Their daughter Casey, now a mother herself, remembers being unfazed by the idea of her parents starting a zoo. Oh, I definitely had an interesting childhood. Um, I guess when I was younger, I probably didn't appreciate it like I do now because they were building a zoo, so I either had to tag along with them or sort of create my own fun. Um, now that I'm older and sort of have my own children, I understand more um, the sacrifices that mum and dad made and all that sort of stuff. But it was definitely interesting. I don't think a lot of people could compare to my childhood. <laughs> what are some of the animals you used to play with in the uh, backyard as a five-year-old? Um, well, we quite often would have hand-raised lions, not because we wanted to hand-raise them, because they were rejected by their mum. Um, so that was definitely interesting. I used to spend a lot of time in my bedroom. We also had a cougar, Tom, and um, he was always on my bed. He used to sleep on my bed. Um, and he was beautiful. And I had a whole zoo full of animals I could go and spend time with any time I wanted. Nick, what time are you bringing gorillas in? Uh, Back and it again. Okay, no worries. Is it right if I just move it back up there again then? <laughs> Thank you. So we're walking into a door. We're walking into a door that says danger. I'm worried. I can oh, smell. Oh, hello, Kababu. Oh, no. I think we're about to meet a massive male. Hey, Gigi. Hey, Gigi. Oh, Gigi. Seeing how at ease Kababu was with Sally was incredible. This is a massive silverback gorilla, but somehow Sally has forged this beautiful bond with him and you could feel his affection for her, as well as his distrust for a stranger like me. 
When I asked Sally what it is she does to create such a relaxed atmosphere at Mogo Zoo, she was being way too humble. So I asked Steve, her rhino and lion keeper, what he thought. So what's the secret? What's Sally doing different, do you think, to make the animals so relaxed? I mean, it's a beautiful green, it's almost like a boutique zoo in a sense. It's not, no concrete, it's lots of greenery. It does feel very chilled, I've got to say. Yeah, and I, I just think that whole atmosphere that's been created down here and the fact that it is all about the animals that, you know, you can't beat it. You know, you get that sense, and a lot of people say that to me when they're walking around the zoo, have a chat to people after a talk, or, and, you know, they're always saying, everything's just so relaxed, it feels so peaceful here, and, and that's what you kind of want, you know? You don't want animals stressed, you don't want them uncomfortable. We don't want to be stressed and uncomfortable, so it's a perfect place to be. Okay, Well, no, let's bring them just to this fence. We'll come down here. Just open the gate. We'll just come here. Kai Kai. Tracy, just get past the mud so that you can come over here. He's got a very long horn. Who do you want to see? Hey, let's do Jabari. Okay. Sorry, Jabba. Hey, Jabba. So, Sally, I've got a massive rhino walking towards me, and there's only a few poles separating us from I don't know how many kilos that big white rhino is, but he's massive. Yeah, he's. this is what I was talking about. And I'm about to time. pat a white rhino. Just bring arm down. Oh my god. Oh wow. He's actually like oh he's quite rough. Does he like yeah. a bit of a scratch? Yeah, I like that. Put no, your arm in case he comes over, you see. So oh, okay. Here. What would you do if go like that and then go like this? It is so soft. Their their skin. Oh look at that. It's I'm like patting a big rhino. It's amazing. He's the size of my Mini Cooper. Maybe go that. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Does he like yeah. being scratched? Oh yeah. Oh, he's loving it. How big Who they are. gets to pat a white rhino? This is awesome, Sally. Thank you so much. What was your vision for the zoo? What was when at the very beginning? What was your vision? That vision was to build a zoo for endangered exotic species to make a difference. And who would have thought? You know, two people have this vision. We have a five-year-old daughter and, yeah, it was just like I didn't ever think we couldn't do it, you know. I just didn't ever think we couldn't do it. But along the way, it's just growing and to the point where Mogo Zoo is today and you think I go for a walk sometimes and I have to pinch myself and think, and I still do after all these years, you know, like you see it's just like the rhino, You know, when we first got those rhino, you walk up to a rhino, just the sheer size of those rhinos, and you put your hand on one. I I don't know, maybe I'm strange, but I just get a feeling. I just go, how could anybody shoot them for that thing that's on the front of their head? I've got some very strong feelings on, on, on... some of the things that go on around the world and about what doesn't get done and what does get done. And, but the whole role of zoos today, especially in Australia and a lot of the world too, is about conservation and education. And the animals are all on breeding programs and we've got some of the most highly endangered primates in the world here, you know, and that's what I meant was when we started the zoo, 
I mean, we weren't rich. We didn't have any money. So they had to be animals that were going to benefit from being there. And looking back all these years now, that is what we've done. And I know a lot of people hate zoos, do not agree with zoos and everything like that. But I've put my money where my mouth is. I've never cared what lengths I've had to go to to make sure the animals have always had more than what I've had. And I will always put the zoo first and the animals, you know. So there's a lot more to Mogo Zoo than just a place where people come and pay to come in and look at animals, yeah. Sally, what are some of the endangered species that are at the zoo currently? We've got, well, take the silvery gibbon, for instance. When we first got our pair, one came from overseas and one came from Perth Zoo. There's only Mogo Zoo and Perth Zoo that have the silvery gibbons in Australia. So they either form a brother-sister pair or a mated pair. And we were very lucky that ours formed a mated pair and they gave birth very soon, you know, after they were put together in the normal timeline frames. And we've been amazingly lucky. So when that pair was put together, it was only the sixth breeding pair in the world. I think there might be eight now. I'm not sure. But they're highly endangered, the silvery gibbon. And we've bred three bubbers and our first... Uh, the first female that we bred, she's about ready to go off to Germany. So as part of a, um, the silvery program. Yeah, so, I mean, us, our um, Siamangs that we've got here, we've, got, we've had the most amazing breeding pair of Siamangs here. And that's been an amazing program as well. But the silveries are very endangered. Um, the golden lion tamarin, you know, they're not the easiest to breed in captivity and we've been very successful here at Mogo Zoo. They're highly endangered as well as all the little um, calatricidae, you know, that's all the little primates, tamarins and marmosets. So, oh gosh, Sumatran tigers, snow leopards. Oh, snow leopards. Someone asked me once, why does a snow leopard have such a long tail? And, you know, I could never answer that question until we had cubs. And then I was able to say, snow leopard mamas, snow leopards have such long tails so that their babies can play with them. You know, play know with the tail. That, oh, you should see the babies play with their tails. Oh, gosh. We, the first pair we had, they were the best, you know, mum and dad and the cubs all together. And they, we kept them all together till they were about two years old. So that was an amazing manga and Lena. Lena came to us from Sweden. So, and Ilian, who's there now, he came from Copenhagen Zoo. And that was like oh, quite a few years ago now. Um, but some of the animals, you, you think, you know, pinch myself. Seriously, you know. And, yeah, it's amazing. 200 animals and more than 42 rare and exotic species later, Mogo Zoo is now an award-winning zoo with well-respected breeding and conservation programs. But as always, the path to success rarely runs smoothly and there have been challenges along the way. Now, when I started Mogo Zoo, I started it with my husband, Bill, and 
I could never have done it without Bill and Bill could never have done it without me. Together, we built Mogo Zoo. Out of passion and you're young and everything like that. So Bill decided that he didn't want to be here anymore and I said, well, I'm not leaving. I'll buy you out. And I did. Good on you. That was in 2007 and I took the whole thing on myself, which was a bit scary, but I did it and I have some amazing people that work with me that have really helped me along the way and there's been a lot of challenges. Was that difficult for him given that he was so... Because he was very passionate about the zoo. Obviously, both of you were. Mm. Um, what was it that made him decide, OK, I'm going to leave it to Sally because he, kn- he knew how I capable you were? No. I never knew how capable I was until after Bill went. Um, I think he just had enough. You day know. in, day out. I mean, yeah. it's 24-7 what you do. It what sort funny. of sacrifice have you made in your life to run a zoo like this? Well, you think about it. You start with nothing, $4,000 in a dream, and 28 and a half years later, Mogo Zoo is sitting here today. You know, we've poured every single cent back into it. I never ever, in you know, like I've never ever thought of it as making money out of it. Probably to my own detriment, most of the time, someone asked me once, how did you do it? I really don't know because it was like you've got blinkers on and it's just something that you feel that you have to do, you know. And I think Bill had just had enough, you know, and I didn't want to go. Did you feel abandoned? No, because it, uh, it was my idea as well. Like we both were in agreement of it. But knowing how hard it was to run a zoo, as you said, you needed him in the beginning and knowing that he was leaving, did you think that you could carry on? Was there ever a moment you thought, oh, maybe this is the time for me to sort of step back or no. let it go? No, it was like when we started it. I never ever thought I, I couldn't do it, but I never ever had the confidence until we separated yeah, so it was for the best and Mogo Zoo was always my primary being for life. So what have you sacrificed to, to run a zoo like this that's obviously 24-7? I mean, in your life, if you look back, do you think you've made huge sacrifices for, for the zoo, for Mogo? Personally? Yeah. Yeah. Getting upset, but look! Look at what you've created, Sally. I'm sure that's what keeps you going. Yeah, it's been hard. Mm. Sorry. No, that's all right. You know, because when you say things like that, and I think back, you know, um, there has been, you know, over the over the years, I've I've been lucky enough to meet some amazing people. But I've met some truly inspiring animals, you know, and I've been lucky enough and privileged enough to have had experiences that I would never, ever have experienced in my life with animals, you know. And, um, I mean, Mac the lion, like that was... I raised him and to early days when I didn't really know what I was doing, you know, and 
that's what I say, you know, like before when I was saying I never knew how much common sense I had and how much ability I had until actually Bill left when I had to, you know. And sometimes I'd be still sitting on my veranda at two o'clock in the morning trying to figure out what I'm going to do, you know, and how I'm going to do it and how I'm going to make decisions and what's the best way to do this. And, um, and it was always the animals and the people because I do care not only about the animals but the people that work for me as well and work in this environment. And, and when I see some of the things that go on around the world, I remember I came home once and I was crying like when I drove in the driveway and, and I was so upset over something that I'd read. And a girl that worked for me, she said, what's wrong, Sally? And I said, I just can't make a difference. You know, I've seen this and I want to do something about it. And she said, you know what? And this is right in the early, age, early days. She said, get this place right. Get this place going. Then go and take things like that on. But she said, you've got so much you're trying to do here. I'd take on the whole world if I could. I mean, if I was wealthy and could buy islands and fill them with days where they'd be safe. But there's always someone out there that's... That's what I mean about animals and humans. But, I mean, I don't hate people. Don't get me wrong there. But... And that's where I, it gets me sometimes because I feel... I feel so responsible sometimes and I don't have the money or the resources to do things in the wild you know to, to be able to and I, and, I, and I should be really proud but it humbles me because I am really proud of the work that we do here and the fact of where we've come in 28 and a half years you must admire your mum, um, the fact that she's followed her heart and, you know, through all the hard, you know, hard years, really, and uh, sacrifice. Absolutely. My mum is my hero. Um, yeah, it's very inspiring. Very lovely. Mm, like I said, Casey was big sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, but it turned out OK. <laughs> yeah. What I really admire about Sally is her resilience and her courage to follow her heart, despite the hardships. She's the matriarch of the zoo and is well-respected and loved by the staff. I hope in her quiet moments that Sally realises what she's accomplished. Sadly, since this recording, Sally's much-loved silverback kebabu passed away. I feel incredibly lucky to have caught a glimpse of the beautiful bond Sally shared with him when I was at Bogo Zoo. Where All Animals was presented by me, Tracy Preston, producer Ludimovic, executive producer Liv Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic, creative direction by Jennifer Goggin.